Three, two, one. This ain't no disco. This ain't no country club either. This is a special episode of Tell Me All Your Thoughts on Pod. I'm Trav. I'm Quillen. I'm Al. Some of the biggest artists of the 90s never had a modern rock number one, but we still want to spend time with them. Today we'll be talking about the author of If It Makes You Healthy, more than 100 delicious recipes inspired by the seasons. Cheryl Crow was a massive crossover radio success, routinely topping the adult alternative radio chart, but never topping the modern rock chart around which this podcast revolves. Oh, good job. You, got, you made the sentence not end with a preposition. That's right, English uh, teacher. S- stick around to hear about Cheryl Crow's many hits and also her three 90s albums, Tuesday Night Music Club, Cheryl Crow, and The Globe Sessions. All I want to do is have some fun. Welcome back. Um, we are, uh, just to be clear, this is like our um, Stone Tumble Pilots special that we did last season. Um, this is uh, uh, basically our opportunity to talk about some people who uh, do not appear at number one on the modern rock chart. And like we said, Sheryl Crow was a, a big radio success, but she never had a modern rock number one. Don't ever think she actually got particularly close, but... Um, she did really well on adult alternative radio, which is like uh, 96.3 as opposed to, to 89X for all of our Detroit people. A little background, Trav, I saw that you were looking up some, some videos from Cheryl Crow's previous life in the 80s. Um, she was a music teacher in Missouri, and she did some jingles, and she became a backup singer for Michael Jackson. You can look this up on YouTube. Um. She's got a, I think, a giant wig. Is that a wig? You think? <laughs> I don't know. She had, she had some really, uh, really voluminous uh, hair, even starting mm-hmm. with uh, Tuesday Night Music Club. So I guess it wouldn't be that far fetched to to believe that was a real hair. Yeah. Uh, she hmm. did the duet for um, "I Just Can't Stop Loving You" with Michael Jackson, which is the best Michael Jackson song. What? Yeah. Hmm. IMO. Um, but uh, didn't, I, I don't know, didn't really make much of an impact or an impression based on your performance right. there. Well, that would be, a, I think, a running trend tonight. Well, you don't, um, <laughs> you, you don't want to over, overshadow Michael, you know? You're not going to sure, pair him with like Whitney Houston or something. Yeah. So she recorded um, a debut album with uh, a guy who like worked with Sting and stuff like that. It made it basically an overproduced record. It sounded like really generic 80s pop. Um, Like, I don't know. um, Did I already say Peter Gabriel? No. Yeah. It sounded like Peter Gabriel or Hmm. Phil Collins or something like that. Um, so the more rootsy Tuesday Night Music Club is what launched her career, and uh, that's the first album that we'll jump into. But first, I guess, what's your what's your history with Cheryl Crow? What's your general relationship with Cheryl Crow? Me, Aaron. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, 
when I was in elementary school, uh, I remember my brother having Tuesday night music club. This would have probably been in fourth and fifth grade. Like um, a lot of the um, artists that I uh, have gotten into on this podcast, that's that's my humble beginnings. Um, and yeah, I um, I th- I think I liked it. Uh, I liked uh, the album back then. I really liked a. Um, particular few songs um and you know just kind of followed her uh sparingly beyond that um knew of her singles um through the first couple on her follow-up album and then just kind of lost interest um at that point and uh i'm i i it, it was fun um actually spending time with these albums and and singles um in preparation for for this episode trev um, I liked the um her earliest singles um from Tuesday Night Music Club. Uh, I think I had a bit of a crush on her in sixth grade, particularly because mm. of the uh the big curly hair, which was mm-hmm. excellent. And um <laughs> it just kind of uh faded from there. It was all downhill from there. Hmm. So Cheryl Crow for me was like one of those Wonderwall experiences where I heard If It Makes You Happy on the radio and immediately I was like, I, I want to own this album. So I think I remember asking my dad to go with me to Tower Records and buy it. And um, I, I liked it quite a bit. It wasn't necessarily a favorite, but it was enough to get me really into Cheryl Crow. And um, I, I definitely got Tuesday Night Music Club at some point after that. I remember not being super fond of a lot of Tuesday Night Music Club, but I used to listen to it while I played FA-18 Hornet Flight Simulator <laughs> on my family's Mac. So um, that's interesting. Those classic shapes <laughs> resembling airplanes. Um, uh, or what come to mind when I hear songs like <laughs> Leaving Las Vegas. Um, okay, well, in general, what does Sheryl Crow do well? Sings. I think that uh, her voice shows immense improvement um, after Tuesday Night Music Club. Um, and it is very rich and just a great, great voice. Um on the self-titled album and on, um, uh, the globe sessions. Um, yeah, just great singer. Um, great personality on these albums. Um, and apparently stellar musician. I didn't know that she played like the majority of the instruments on, at least on the self-titled album she played. Mm -hmm. It sounds like almost everything except for drums. And I, I had no idea. And, uh, there are some licks in there that are awesome on If It Makes You Happy, on um, uh, Every Day is a Winding Road, and a couple of other songs. There's just some really impressive musicianship um, that, yeah, I just, I didn't know. I thought she played guitar and sang and, and mm-hmm. um, didn't really know. I think keys, keys are her primary instrument. Interesting. And guitar I, yeah. is secondary. Hmm. I had no idea. Yeah. So she's on yeah. the roads for all this stuff, right? Uh, yeah, for, for okay, sure. Uh, cool. uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I mean, you know, on Tuesday Night Music Club, I think there's quite a roster of people coming in and out and playing instruments. But um, uh, yeah, my understanding is that at least after a, a handful of sessions for self-titled, she ended up kind of taking over. Mm-hmm. 
um, a lot of the performances. Yeah, I, I, you know, she's got a technically great voice, but one of the things that I love is that she's not limited to using it in technically great ways. Mm. She's got, she's got sort of uh, cracked and raspy things she can do, and I think she does this kind of deadpan, double tracked thing that um, I, I really like um, on something like. Uh, the verses for a change uh, would do you good. You know, that's the kind of the vocal performance that you hear. I think she writes great melodies and great hooks. Mm -hmm. She works with collaborators that I think together um, tend to make sonically interesting choices. I think there are a lot of just like great sounds on these records. The drum, um, the drum sounds on um, Tuesday night music club and the self-titled album in particular are great. Like, I'm really yeah. excited yes. to talk drums with Just you. Just really, yeah, really great drum sounds. Yeah. I, on Club Sessions, too, like, the drum sounds all throughout these albums are, are just great. Great. Yeah. Uh, what are Sheryl Crow's weaknesses? <clears throat> uh, go, go. <laughs> do it. Uh, to play soul and blues music in a convincing way. Hmm. <laughs> So you just felt like it was too, things, things got too bluesy. I felt like she was trying to make them bluesy, but without, without any of the attitude or charisma to really hmm. make it pay off. Hmm. And also, I think her attempts to maybe try to be controversial um, were... They just fell totally flat for me, like mm -hmm. with some of her lyrics. Is that mostly in self-titled territory that you see yes. attempts to be controversial? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I would just say um, anytime she comes in contact with Wawa pedal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like it's like a skip for me. Um, and I do think that I, I, I was new to the Globe Sessions when we were researching this podcast. I really like the Globe Sessions, but it does put her on a trajectory that is increasingly basic. And in the 2000s, I think of her music as extremely basic. Um, so uh, I know that she's on that kind of trajectory but in reference to what you were saying trav i think what i didn't necessarily understand about cheryl crow until these last couple weeks when i was researching and listening over and over again is that she really is rooted in the 60s and 70s yeah she's a, she's a roots rock mm -hmm. musician yeah um and one thing that i loved that's probably almost the very thing that trav disliked was i realized what a huge rolling stones fan cheryl crow is she says in numerous interviews like the very first albums that she got into were, were the stones albums and the very first songs she got into were the stones doing country <laughs> from beggars banquet to um let it bleed to sticky fingers to exile on main street which is some of my favorite music of all time and i think that she does a great job of invoking that feeling i think that's true on on a couple of the singles for sure um i think the guitar work is definitely like there's some like keith richards guitar stuff for sure mm -hmm. um but yeah going back to like the 70s stuff um i made a note for tuesday night music club that um this was like her audition to be the sixth traveling wilbury 
<laughs> she was like that's a bar band right but and i know we kind of talked about like i referenced dishwalla as being like a shitty bar band mm-hmm. and i don't mean it that way with this i mean this is mm-hmm. like these are like career musicians who like yeah. show up and jam and can like <laughs> just walk into a room and like play you know play these this style of music you know this yeah. blues based rock which you know is what uh, mainstream rock and roll was kind of built on for the past mm-hmm. 50 or 60 years and I she think the other the other weird the thing about the the other weird thing about the blues thing though is it's all anglophile blues music it's the stones it's rod stewart it's the faces um it's not you know muddy waters unless it's muddy waters by way of the rolling stones you know yeah um she seems like she's into these british bands i think she's a lot more than that but uh that was something that i really enjoyed this time around yeah i was gonna you know uh, i i didn't have a great experience listening to this but i think that doing homework for the podcast creates this cumulative effect where like if i start off Listening, you know, I listened to the three albums in a row. I listened to Tuesday Night Music Club, the self-titled, and then Globe Sessions, which is what we're covering. And once you sort of dig into a hole, like she did with half of Tuesday Night Music Club, and then started to with the self-titled, it was so hard for her to get out of it, for me, in my, my impression of her music, that I was just sort of dreading finishing things. But it didn't turn out to be that way. If I could have cherry-picked it, or maybe like not approach this in such a, an academic sort of way where it's like, you know, I have to do this for homework. Mm-hmm. Um, it might've been easier to, um, I guess, kind of ease into the, the songs a little more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure it's really different since I have a sentimental attachment to two of these albums already. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it was like exciting to have a, a an unexplored extension of that in the Globe Sessions. So I came out of this feeling pretty great about Sheryl Crow. Quill, I think you kind of came out intermediate about Sheryl Crow. Yeah, I, I would say, um, I, yeah, I'm probably in between the two of you, um, mm-hmm. assuming that I know, you know, where Travis is at. Um I, uh, I, I mean, some of the songs, some of the singles are just like excellent, just really some of the best singles of the nineties, I think, and just really stunning songs. Um, there are singles that are enjoyable, a couple album tracks that I really ended up liking. Um, I, you know, I have, um, sentimental feelings about Tuesday night music club. Um, and so it was just awesome to get to spend time with that again. Um, and um, the self-titled and Globe Sessions, which I I only knew, you know, a total of, I think, three songs f- combined from the two albums. Um, you know, I, I was able to find some, some interesting things on it. And um, yeah, I, I definitely don't have like overly negative... Um, vibes uh, on Cheryl Crow. I, I feel like there is definitely enough um, that I can take away with, uh, you know, take away from, from her that um, I'll, that'll stick with me for a long time. And, and yeah, I, I can't deny that she's talented and um, that her records sound great. 
All right. Well, uh, we will hit a clip and uh, we'll come back and talk about Tuesday Night Music Club. We're back talking about Tuesday Night Music Club. Uh, this album was released by AM in 1993, and it was the product of a kind of a curious process. Uh, Cheryl Crow had had made her unreleasable album and was looking for sort of her next thing. She was dating a guy named Kevin Gilbert, who was a musician who was part of the Tuesday Night Music Club, which was sort of a collective of songwriters and collaborators. And when she started participating in this, it turned into a vehicle for her album. Um, the Tuesday Night Music Club included two people who continued to work with Cheryl Crow. One's Bill Batrell, who played a variety of instruments, and the other is Brian McLeod, who played the drums on uh, quite a bit of the first and second album. And I, I guess we'll get into this a little bit, but I think it's not necessarily the story that I'm interested in looking into. There, there was a, a, quite a bit of bitterness over the credits of this album um, over time. And uh, it kind of took over uh, the press for even for her second album. Um, so I guess we can talk about that a little bit, but I don't want to really linger on it. Um, Quill, we'll start with you. Uh, what did you think revisiting this album? How did you feel about it? Um, I felt uh, like it was, it was really fun to, to revisit. Um, I probably walked away f- uh, with, let's see, uh, maybe liking about like, eh, maybe not quite half of it, mm-hmm. um, but like, yeah, thinking that about uh, a little under half of it is, is really good. Um, you know, we, we touched on uh, a little bit uh, that the drum sounds on all of these records are great. Um, that's one of the biggest takeaways for me that... that I, I didn't look close enough at the credits to see if there were multiple drummers or, uh-huh. um, you know, who played on what, but pretty much uh, every drum performance is awesome on this record. Um, all I want to do is like awesome drumming, great, great drum sounds. Um, the Nana song has great, like John Bonham esque drumming. Um, yeah, I can't cry anymore. Has a great, simple, interesting beat um, that's super appropriate for the song. It, I, I was really pleasantly surprised by by the drumming. How much programmed drums do you hear? Is it just an occasional like synthetic clap? I I didn't really think I was hearing. I mean, I, I guess I didn't think about it. I don't think there was any yeah. like uh, prominently. Um, I, I guess I always thought that two and four on "Can't Cry Anymore" was was uh, oh, a synthetic sound. That could be, um, yeah, I, I guess. And I, I thought that Leaving Las Vegas maybe had synthetic something. Yeah, synthetic I mean, that's sounds. a pretty 80s sounding song. Um, mm-hmm. I I wasn't sure if that was just like intentional production, you know, like yeah. mixing of the drums to sound that way. Um, yeah, Can't Cry Anymore almost sounds like it could be some kind of auxiliary percussion mm-hmm. that's creating that, that synthetic sounding sound, mm-hmm. but. I, I mean, I'm totally with you. I, I love, love the drum sounds on 
can't cry anymore and um um man uh leaving las vegas all i want to do has that just like perfect like muted or muffled snare drum tone that's just really really great so i don't know if you remember this but about two years ago i was driving to work and i heard that song and i think i texted you Uh, all i want to do by cheryl crow and i texted you quillen and i was like I think the drums on this song are incredible. <laughs> like the sound and the fills mm-hmm. and the groove, mm-hmm. like the repetitive sort of like, there's like a crowdy aspect to mm-hmm. it, right? And um, huh. it's just broken up by these very simple fills mm-hmm. that are so well syncopated that it might be like my favorite drum song, drum, drum performance like ever. I love it. It's it's totally awesome. Also, I I guess I never realized exactly how funky that song is. Like, yeah. And then also the acoustic guitars in the chorus, oh, which adds man. this whole other level of like the syncopation to it, yeah. you know? It's like very choppy and and rhythm focused. Yep. Are there um, strings it, too? Ooh. I don't think so. There's pedal steel. Oh, I think there's roads in I'm it hearing. too. Yeah, there's stuff electric roads. pianos. Yeah, it, it's a that's a. I always took that song for granted in my youth, and um, it's a good song. It's it's a sweet song. Yeah, Trev, uh, what stuck out to you this time around? So yeah, I was about half and half on it, and um, the most fun kind of element for me was picking out the influences. Um, which were like extremely apparent to me uh, to the point of being like, oh man, I didn't realize how much of a ripoff this was of, you know, this song or whatever it happened to be. Um, like, yeah, uh, Leaving Las Vegas was totally the Joker by Steve Miller Band. Um, we talked about see that. Uh, the Nana song being Subterranean Homesick Blues. Yeah, um, I feel like that, that. That's that's. I feel like bands get to have their riff on. That's true. Music that's plays. true. It's, but also, it's funny I, I, because that's without question what it is. But it's I funny because thought it was, I thought of it as a Zeppelin song. Huh. Yeah. I I also thought of it as a Ball of Confusion by The Temptations, where it's that it's that whole yeah. like, man, the world is crazy. You got people doing this. You got people doing that. Uh-huh. What a what a crazy world. We, like yeah, that yeah. Uh, yeah. It's that lineage of, uh, we didn't, we didn't start the fire and, uh, it's the end of the world as we know it and that sort of thing. Ball of Confusion, by the way, is super cool. Yeah. Yeah. That era of Norman Whitfield, um, temptation psychedelic stuff is, is very Mm. cool. Um, and then all I want to do was like, uh, stuck in the middle with you by Steeler's wheel. And uh, a combination sure. of that Fair. and uh, something to talk about by Bonnie Raitt. Huh. 
Um, yeah, there were like just a handful of things that you could pick out. Uh, you know, I thought Can't Cry Anymore had the Beast of Burden guitar sound to it. Yeah. I, one thing that I think that it's uh, Stephen Thomas Erlewine of all music that, that pointed out that I Can't Cry Anymore sounds like Honky Tonk Woman. And um, it's funny. You can choose a single, at least one single from each album and say, hey, imagine this is honky tonk women and it's really easy to do and uh i i thought i remembered this and i looked back and i yep i confirmed it um there was a martin scorsese rolling stones concert special uh, i think it was called shine a light maybe 10 yeah. years ago yeah um that I, I watched and liked and who comes out to sing honky tonk woman Cheryl Crow sing honky tonk woman. <laughs> and you know, she said that that's, that's her era. That's her time. So, you know, the, the idea of some kind of, um, laid back drum groove with these f- frankly outstanding guitar sounds doing some variation on one and four, getting into a groove. There's one on each album and they are, probably my three favorite Cheryl Crow songs. Hmm. Um, it's something that she does really well. And uh, yeah, I, so I, I think there's a, there's definitely some truth behind that. Take your car Texas Sorry honey But I suspected we were through And I can't cry Anymore Yeah and I didn't think I didn't think I thought one song was absolutely terrible But everything else was like not bad enough To make me feel much Which Um, one did you think was terrible? uh, We do what we can The fake jazz Uh, oh song. yeah I, i'm not a big fan either yeah uh, yeah that drove me nuts did that song sound like like really it was like a really bad um attempt at like uh it sounded like angelo Badalamente to me like kind twin of peaks yeah the style, muted like trumpet fake and... fake jazz like which his jazz in twin peaks sounds pretty fake um but it this was like a bad version of that yeah it sounded like jessica rabbit should be singing mm. it Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's a great. It way sounded to put like it. it sounded like that uh, clip of Kim Cattrall uh, scatting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> it didn't. That's not very very good. Um, yeah, I just thought that was like a bad idea. It was a bad yeah. concept. Yeah. Yeah. And you, so, no matter how well yeah. executed it was going to be, it was never going to work. Yeah. Well, she does have a lounge song on the next album mm-hmm. that I think is great. That I think is very good, but we can mm. we can save that. Yeah, I but, agree. Though I, I I didn't think that there really was a good album track. Um, I didn't think that there were bad album tracks necessarily, but um, solidified na na song. Um, it's funny. I like I, both of those. Th- those were the two not, songs, not songs that I like very much. Those were the like two those. album tracks that I liked. Yeah, I like yeah. solidify yeah. surprisingly. Yeah, solidify, solidify kind of was slapped. funky. Yeah. And it oh was, yeah. It was a little cheesy, but it, it was good. It, it had that like really awesome high pitched like funk uh, guitar part that is scratch. really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and yeah, Nana song. It, yeah, it just sounded like big booming 
John Bonham drums and like the music sounds like Zeppelin to me and you know the vocals whatever the the na na part is catchy and cheesy but like I I liked it I I thought it was an enjoyable song there actually are some pretty good lines in it lyrically one of the things that I love about Cheryl Crow is that she's a proper noun user um she's very much into drawing our attention to the world that we live in and all of its banal brandedness and uh she doesn't you know she writes sometimes in vague sort of romantic platitudes like a lot of people do on the radio but you know i'm already looking at uh you know um Billy Jean Burger King chauvinist pig pen U.S. Army only wants a few straight men. I think that she can be funny, and I think that she um, is very like, in a way, I hate to say in your face, but she's very matter of fact and um, and very down to earth in her way of sort of looking at the world. I think that. Um, this will mature and and come out in its purest form in the self-titled album. But, um, you know, this idea of referring to brand names and businesses and, and specific places and people in her songs is something that really appeals to me. It just feels so refreshingly straightforward after hearing all of these, you know, we live in a wheel where everyone steals or whatever Gavin Rosdale's been (laughs) tossing at us. Actually, um, about Globe Sessions, that that was described as her first album that was written in the first person. Interesting. Meaning that, yeah, the first two were written, you know, she didn't want to speak personally about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of interesting. I don't know how, how accurate that is. I didn't, you know, double check it or anything. But um, I guess while we're on the topic of lyrics, I wanted to mention uh, that I just today discovered that all I want to do is based on a poem. Mm-hmm. called Fun by a poet named Wynn Cooper, and it is word for word lifted from the poem. Okay. Um, like, you can, you can look it up, and it's just every line is taken from this poem. And I don't know... I think that maybe makes it a little more of a novelty song <laughs> for me than anything. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily think, like, oh, that discredits absolutely everything about the song. It's, you know, somebody else wrote it. It's more just like, oh, she took a poem and applied it to this kind of funky jam, and it worked really well. Mm-hmm. So good good on her for putting it together. I think that he was a buddy of the Tuesday Night Music Club people, which I feel like makes it cool. Hmm. I don't know. I've got a couple of friends who write poetry, and I've approached them about the idea of setting their, setting their poems to music. Hmm. Um, critics liked this album in general. Uh, I mentioned Stephen Thomas Erlewine earlier, but uh, when he's talking about side A, 
the side that has most of the singles on it. He says the songs are remarkable testaments to um, the group's collaboration, proving that Roots Rock can sound contemporary and have humor. That same spirit, however, also resulted in some half-finished songs, and the preponderance of those tracks make Tuesday Night Music Club better in memory than it is in practice. Still, even with the weaker moments, Crow manages to create an identity for herself, a classic rocker at heart, but with enough smarts to stay contemporary. Uh, uh, That rang true for me, just the idea of... uh, I think she does a great job of updating some very traditional influences. Yeah, that, agreed. That sounds right. Yeah. Um, talk about some singles. Yeah. First single. Uh, firstly, weird single choices for this record. They were obviously not. They 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 couldn't figure out what exactly about Cheryl Crow they were going to market. Yeah. First single was "Run Baby Run" track one, which failed to chart in the U.S. And I personally find this song very fussy and old-fashioned yeah i i'm also surprised that it was the album opener um Mm -hmm. in general um yeah i don't know it's like a weird bluesy piano ballad i i just don't know what to make of it I was going to say that was the one that sounded to me like uh fooled around and fell in love by elvin bishop from the boogie night soundtrack yeah i primarily imagine little bill when i'm thinking about fooled around and fell in love (laughs) yeah oh poor little bill um yeah it's just the whole thing is too fussy and you know i was just praising cheryl crow's you know references to specific people and places but in your lead single from your first album to talk about the day that Aldous Huxley died just feels a little, a little too academic. Uh, I, I, that song do- doesn't do much for me at all. I laughed at that line. Um, yeah. Yeah. Real quick, Al, I'm sorry. What do you mean by the song being fussy? Um, the lyrics seem a little fussy and the guitar is like, it's impressive like it's smart um they are uh it sort of feels like they're playing abbey road chords um which all seems appealing but it just it feels like the song has really been labored over Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. gotcha in contrast to something like can't cry anymore or leaving lost yeah yeah it it does not feel like uh there's like no natural flow to it at all like whether that be the structure of the song or like what i assume to be how the song was written and composed like it just yeah yeah, it seems i i totally agree with you yeah yeah it's a smart song but it sounds like effort Mm -hmm. um Yep. So and then another single that completely failed to chart after that, What I Can Do For You, this one has like a a little bit of a like a a pop shuffle to it. It's it's an interesting vibe. Yeah. Maneater. I, oh. What'd you say? Uh Maneater by Hall and Oates. Hmm. I I don't hate the song. I, I think uh again, uh confuse that these songs were picked before like the following four singles were all like clearly more 
yeah. hit, had potential to be hits uh, than these first two singles. I, but 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 what I can do for you is was nice. I like there's a nice like kind of meandering groove to it. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, like the blue, I like the bluesy like organ and and Rhodes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, that's probably what she's playing on that song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, next, we go to All I Want to Do. Uh, this was a um, number two on the Hot 100, so really big song, and a modern rock number four. It seems weird that it would be on modern mm-hmm. rock radio at all, but that's kind of uh, Cheryl Crow's interesting line that she rides. This is also the biggest international hit of her career. Um, I think we said a fair amount about it. Yeah. Uh, it does not necessarily stand out a ton to me these days. So I need to go back and listen based on what you all have said today. Yeah. I can't believe it's the ninth song on the album. Yeah. What a weird thing for such <laughs> yeah. an obvious hit, right? Yeah, it's, You got to slap that baby in the three yeah, spot. It, it, it goes <laughs> along with like what Al, I think what you were saying earlier with like clearly, um, the you know those in power didn't know how to market Mm -hmm. her songs or her sound i'm and i mean i i guess it makes sense like the that is a positive thing i think about this album is that it's you know trev you're you're drawing comparisons pretty clear comparisons to to songs in the past but like it is a pretty diverse sound like from song to song like i think mm-hmm. there is diversity in sound right on yes this record. and it, while being coherent and yeah right, right yeah. yeah and and, yeah. and so i guess it makes sense that it would be difficult to kind of pinpoint what songs to showcase you know um you know it, it's easy for us to say in hindsight that all i want to do is a complete banger uh, that should have been the first single i i mean that was what I thought was the first single when I was a kid, that was the first song I'd ever heard by, by her. Um, but yeah, anyways, the song rules and yeah, Al, you should, you should revisit. You should. Yeah. I'll go back. Open your ears. Uh, next up is leaving Las Vegas. This went to pop number 60 and modern rock number eight. Um, I like this song a lot. You can sense that she is, uh, her vocal style is not fully developed, but it comes off in a way that I think is really appealing on this song. Um, there's a, a little bit of a poutiness to some of the, the vocals, and I find it appealing. <laughs> Um, and I really like the simplicity of this arrangement. I like all the sounds in this arrangement. So I'm pretty into leaving Las Vegas. Trev, what do you think of the song? Uh, uh, it's fine. It, it's not bad. I think that says okay. about everything okay. I want to say. It's not bad. I thought that you would you know, hate it. Um, I could be convinced to hate it. Oh, I, I'm not trying to convince <laughs> you. I, I just, I, when I heard this song, I was just like, oh, Travis is going to hate this one. It is just like, it's the Joker bass line. I right, didn't even Miller, think about Vans. that until like, that you... Is, said that i i i couldn't yeah 
I thought of it as like a mix of like 80s Paul Simon and 80s Amy Grant. Like mm. that's what it sounded like to me. Like very much yeah. dated pop music. Um the Joker, I didn't even think about it until you said it and then I was like, duh. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um I don't but hate still, the song. Fine. I it's I, yeah. I'm with I'm totally with you. It's it's fine. Um there are some cool moments for sure. Um, but it's a little corny too, I think. So this was the subject of a lot of the songwriting controversy on this album. Sheryl Crow went on Letterman, played this song. Um, it was based on the book Leaving Las Vegas, which was turned into a movie with Nicolas Cage and Elizabeth Shue around the same time. So it was very clearly based around someone else's experience. And at the end of the song, at the end of the performance, Letterman walks up to her and says, great song. Is it autobiographical? And Sheryl Crow says, yes. <laughs> and uh, um Kevin Gilbert, who was one of the, he was the, you know, the, the guy that she had been dating and who, um, had played a big role in writing this song very shortly after killed himself. Um, so the press liked this idea that this was based on the idea that Sheryl Crow had taken credit for his ideas and his experiences on Letterman, um, I had known that Gilbert's death was a suicide, but if you look a little bit closer, it was autoerotic asphyxiation. Oh, interesting. Um, I, so, I did not get that far in, in reading um, about this. Probably not related to <laughs> leaving Las Vegas. And um, people close to Kevin Gilbert said, you know, there was plenty of darkness aside from hmm. um, any, any slight that Sheryl Crow had delivered on late night television. Man, deep. Uh, Speaking of autoerotic asphyxiation, <laughs> strong enough. <laughs> uh, pop number five, modern rock number 10. I think we're in agreement on strong enough. already a uh a friend of the pod or a uh pod all-star pretty much yeah we've we've talked about it uh something i found interesting and hilarious apparently travis tritt released an album in 2002 called strong enough uh that features a song called strong enough to be your man that is uh, a response uh, to oh, that's helpful to this song. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, as if it were needed. Uh, Travis yeah, Tritt it's like came no pigeons. In- <laughs> <laughs> Travis Tritt came in to uh, share his his thoughts on uh, Cheryl Crow's uh, 
anyways yeah this song is great is it about like how much wood he can carry mm. like in other <laughs> extremely literal he is uh, f- demonstrations of strength <laughs> he's he physically make. strong enough to be the man of the house open the it's pickle jar and bench yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah <sighs> yeah this yeah, i feel a- like we didn't awesome we didn't talk about this because it's uh just obviously incredible mm-hmm. um and we've talked about it before. I think we all love it. Um, it's, yeah, it's about as good as uh, songs get from the first half of the decade there. Mm. Yeah, beautiful ballad. Uh, just really, really stunning song. Yeah, great arrangement, mm-hmm. too. Um, some kind of soft electric keyboards and, um, uh, and lap steel. Lap steel, simultaneously. yeah. Simultaneously, yeah. Yep. And yep. Uh, so a little bit of, like, tasteful percussion right is there kick and like tambourine or something like that? i think so So there's something there yeah yeah Yeah, just a yeah beautiful really a beautiful song it's mixed in such a soft way that it's not really like a a booming kind of Mm -hmm. kick thing it just blends in really well with it um at the end of the ep when we nominate songs for the hall of fame are you suspecting that this is like a sour girl situation it better be it might be it is a little stunning to me that after uh i guess this is a little bit of a spoiler on my part but after listening to her next two albums and presumably everything that came after it she never comes close to anything this great again like this is a transcendent incredible single and <sighs> i don't know if she used up everything all at once or what it was but like nothing ever sounded like this again I, I mean, and yes, I will say that I, there are one or two songs that hit uh, pretty dang close. If I, I don't think me. this sound was her mission. Um, yeah, on albums two and three. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. That's absolutely. And fair. she was very eager, I think, to assert her independence from mm-hmm. the Two State Night Music Club. Produce her own stuff. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, finally, can't cry anymore. Pop number six, modern rock number 38. Um, this is the first appearance in my eyes of the Stonesy Crow template. And this is my, I think my overall probably favorite Cheryl Crow song. Um, wow. I think this is one of her best vocal performances. Mm-hmm. And I love the simplicity of this arrangement. I love the guitar sound and I love the, what I suspect is a synthetic sound on two and four, but maybe not. Um, it's just so it's got such great pop candy with uh, a great laid back rock feel mm-hmm. and uh the the songwriting's very straightforward um man, i love this song i i'm really into it i i really love the song too um the structure is great i love the uh so much for pretending uh-huh. uh kind of tag um is that like at the end uh, of the chorus or what like yeah yeah um it, and then really, there's a time when she keeps it going yeah uh for a, a, a long time yeah yeah it's uh yeah it's a really cool song uh great great melodies i like the guitar uh the bluesy guitar thing and like it's like a, a little choppy um mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I talked earlier about how I like the the groove and the the drum uh the drumming on it. Yeah. 
overall question about Tuesday Night Music Club. Mm-hmm. Does anybody else look at the abbreviated version of it and read Teenage Ninja Mutant Club? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I see I see TNMT. Yeah. That's music criticism. All right, we're jumping ahead to 1996. Um, Because of the nature of uh, slowly rolling out Tuesday Night Music Club, Sheryl Crow really like did not disappear from the charts for Mm. any um, real length of time. I think that Can't Cry Anymore kind of segued straight into um, If It Makes You Happy. So this is a real extended peak uh, period of, of chart dominance. Um, on this album, uh, her self-titled album, um, the only two people that she continued working with from the Tuesday Night Music Club were Bill Bottrell and Brian McLeod. Um, uh, Bill Bottrell was producing at first, but jumped ship. He wasn't getting along with Sheryl Crow. There are some stories um, indicating that Sheryl Crow may have been tough to get along with. Um, during these sessions, a guy named Jeff Trot came in to co-write a chunk of the record. But um, like we said already on this record, uh, it seems that Sheryl Crow played the bulk of the in the instruments. Um, it seems like music critics uh, now consider this to be Sheryl Crow's masterpiece. So I'm curious to hear what you all think. Uh, Quill, first of all, what was your experience with self-titled? Um, I would say it was better than I expected it to be. Um, I was only familiar with two of the singles, If It Makes You Happy and Every Day is a Winding Road. Um, I will reserve my thoughts on those um, for when we get there. Um, and yeah, I, I have notes on three album tracks, um, that I was pretty into, um, the other singles, um, I, I was, yeah, I, I was unfamiliar with a lot of the album and I, I think some of the singles fell flat for me this time. Um, I don't think there's as much diversity, um, on this record, um and even though there is some weird left turns um but yeah i I still feel like this is a pretty eclectic record i think it's not as much so as tuesday night music club um i think that the singles um there's not really a like i couldn't tell you the difference between hard to make a stand and a change would do you good um Mm -hmm. And home didn't stick out to me at all. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. It just kind of was more middling, I think, overall compared to Tuesday Night Music Club. Um, but but still highlight. It still has highlights. Still has impeccable musicianship and production and um, things that I've come to expect. And and it was fun to check out. What were some album tracks that you liked? Um, I liked Sweet Rosalind. Um, mm-hmm. Felt like a mid-tempo, like, stone style. Um, 
blues sure. pop. I think there's some Barry Sax in there. Um, that mm-hmm. sounds great. Um, I really liked Oh Marie. Um, mm-hmm. good, just kind of like sparse. Um, song um i think brushes on the drums in a really cool way um, there are a couple of songs on this that feel like rubber soul era beatles to me yeah and oh marie is one of those yes i it, it didn't click until i listened to it again um today that it, it totally reminded me of um yeah i think rubber i was thinking like a white album um kind of uh, yeah. uh mm-hmm. ballad but like i think rubber soul might be more um might it might be more appropriate. Um, the book I really liked. I feel like you guys were texting about it uh, the other day. And uh, I think it's sweet. It, and I think Travis, in the text thread, Travis, I think, mentioned, or was it you, Al, that mentioned um, that it kind of had OK Computer vibes? And yeah, tra- uh, I think Trav brought it up. And yeah, it, it, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, it My notes, yeah, it says... Um, oh, my note says almost has some pre-OK Computer vibes, like, because it is before OK Computer came out. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that kind of that kind of sound, for sure. Yeah, the, the book is a big highlight for me, and I, I think that just because the, I think the chords are great, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought that Trav might be into it. It goes, it just, basically, the, the main conceit of the song is it goes b- between major and minor chord in the same the same key, which is something that I guess you could say uh, maybe the first song on the Benz does. Um, mm. I can't remember what the name of that song is. Planet Telex. Planet Telex. Yeah, but you know, Radiohead does it on uh, Dollars and Cents. But the thing that I think of is the Beatles did it on Hard Day's Night with a song called I'll Be Back. Um, but there are, I, I think that the lyrics are interesting. She's sort of imagining that. Uh, uh, someone who was a lover for a short period of time wrote a book and that she realizes that she's a, a character <laughs> in the book. And um, there's some interesting um, moody drony sounds going on mm-hmm. and it, it only slightly lets loose at some point, but um, there's some very cool keyboard sounds mm-hmm. when it kind of lets loose. I, I'm a big fan of that song. Sometimes it goes Sometimes we come To learn by mistake That the love you once made Can't be It's a cool song. I, I agree. Yeah. The book is very good. The book is the best song on the album. Wow. Hmm. The book is the only good song on the album. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I had this album was Ludicrous. a total slog for me to get through. I thought this album was bad. I thought it was empty and hollow and all of the basic things that you were mentioning about her later work i saw here i was just like yeah it started a lot sooner 
than whatever happened huh. in the 2000s. You got you got soak up the sun vibes. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Um, wow. Yeah, it just struck me as like like Grammy fodder. Like whoever runs the Grammys and votes for Grammys would love this. Like it's just very I think, sanitized and safe, and like I think she cleaned up at the Grammys. Yeah, that would that would make sense I regularly. Yeah. yeah, it's just like it's. It, I had this very cynical thought, but like I was wondering if she was so successful because she played the old man Rolling Stone, like Rolling Stone magazine game, you know, where it's like check off all the boxes that that Rolling Stone writers are into, mm. and like you're in. And that's, I feel like that's what she did. Hmm. Yeah. Just a real tough, tough album to get through. I did not enjoy much of it at all. Any, anything else that you liked? Uh, Home was a bit of a relief after, uh-huh. after specifically after a change would do you good, which made me like furious. <laughs> I hated that wow. song. Huh. I thought that song was like, just this boogie hepcat like uh like carefree fun kind of thing that i was just like oh this sucks this is really really bumming me out that song reminded me a little bit of like um a newer juliana hatfield like that's what it sounded like to me like like her last album like it sounded like recent juliana hatfield her voice sounds like that to me on this album like i think her mm-hmm. voice it didn't change, but it got stronger, I think, um, mm-hmm. on, on this album. And, and Al, you mentioned um, when we were talking about it earlier that um, she has this technically great voice, but does pretty like um, simple things with it and, and, mm-hmm. and uh, has this like low key um, feel and and i i agree i think she does that really really well and um a change would do you good kind of ha- has that in in spades for me like um just a awesome voice singing without really any flair at all and just singing the notes great and um and yeah it it, it weirdly reminded me of like uh something from the latest julian hatfield album Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. I thought that Julie. Are you talking about weird? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, um. But but okay. Let me interject and say but <laughs> but blue okay. but bluesy like yeah, a blu- yeah. like a bluesy okay. version okay. of that. I should have clarified like because yeah, <laughs> Juliana Hatfield is like so clever with yeah. like her guitar stuff and her chords and everything yeah. like that. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything clever about this. I think it's blues. Fair, fair. And I think, you know, some of the way that she sings things with like a bluesy twang. Um, again, you know, I mentioned it before, just totally unconvincing. And there's this mm. very like rural sort of like non-controversial white woman plays the blues and soul that just did not work for me. And especially like on Sweet Rosalind, something that came to mind was like Tracy Chapman was doing like blues, like Cheryl mm. Crow around this time. You know, Give Me One Reason came out around this time. And like, I guess I don't know a lot about Ch- Tracy Chapman, but like that song was as good as anything on this album. Like, why wasn't it as, I mean, maybe it was as successful. I think that probably won a lot of Grammys too. She was doing it for longer, right? Yeah, I, she. I think her work went back to the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, but Cheryl Crow's doing this wry double-tracked vocal on songs like "Sweet Rosalind," 
Um, I think on the choruses, yeah, she will do the change will do you good. Mm-hmm. You know, she is doing she's national anthem it up a little bit, but um, on the verses of that one too, she's doing. Um, if anything, she's doing a little bit of a Liz Fair mm-hmm. vocal sound on some of those verses mm-hmm. where she's doing the double track and it's this ride, deadpan, casual style of delivery that I think when you juxtapose it with the blues thing is exciting. I'm not going to um, be able... Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you're sort of explaining why it works. I don't know if I'll be able to accept it. And I don't know if I'll be able to defend what I'm saying because I couldn't get a grasp on anything other than just like, it was like looking at wallpaper, like one, four, five, you know, like what, like nothing's happening. This is just like basic, this is music. Like, is she going to play brown eyed girl next? You know, like what? (laughs) What? Yeah, I I just did not enjoy this at all. I think that this album is i don't know i was listening to it in the car with emily on our way to michigan and she said it was like cut two songs and you'd have a masterpiece and i i could see that viewpoint i'm a i'm a slot lower than that i think that this is a very good album i think it's conceivable that it will be in my top five for 1996 the lyric evolution um there's this is a a sad and kind of funny album um i hear a lot more of her voice in that again that proper noun thing um i think the thing that's always thrown me off about this album honestly largely revolves around the album cover which makes it look as though we're going into grungy Mm -hmm. depressing territory which seems to be like maybe just a photo shoot that was done in relation to if if it makes you happy because even if you're watching the music videos it's like by the time you get to the second single every day's a winding road like there's perfect continuity between tuesday night music club and Mm -hmm. this album but it's weird that they chose to lead off the album by portraying this super bleak grungy vibe that i don't think is really what this album is uh it does seem like she was in a pretty dark place something that i didn't understand about this record partially i think as a result of some of that negative press um you know the stories relating to tuesday night music club and things like that um in an interview with rolling stone she says i do feel like having a certain amount of space between me and the world around me i had given it all away and now i'm trying to give some of it back um so i hear a little bit of that here i think in terms of album tracks i I think there are a lot of really good album tracks the book definitely stands out to me i think that the opening track maybe angels is is a pretty cool song um uh the final track ordinary morning is sort of like another loungy torch ballad 
but um she really shreds the vocals on it and i think it's a really great performance yeah so i i'm sorry i didn't want to cut you off there but like yeah no i'm i'm good sort of leads back around to the question of what does cheryl crow do well and Mm -hmm. i think you guys have sort of answered this in an unexpected way for me that you talk about her singing or for me like it just doesn't register at all and Mm -hmm. i feel like i've kind of led to like this point where i'm like what what does she do well she's got a vibe man she's got a vibe man (laughs) (laughs) thanks mr little jeans (laughs) (laughs) it is uh it is above you (laughs) (laughs) that's fair that's fair well let's i mean uh there's there's plenty to talk about but yeah i mean let's talk about if it makes you happy for a minute okay um because that is definitely the centerpiece of this album Mm -hmm. and the first single um obviously she shreds the vocal performance Mm -hmm. that that chorus is huge it's louder than anything she sang on tuesday night music club um it's a i think a very straightforwardly rolling stones style song um quill and i'm curious to hear what you think of the drums on if it makes you happy awesome so sweet i um never noticed the um i don't know what you call it i thought it was a much straighter drum beat but it's got like a would you say like hip hop like kick drum thing boom 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 do you know what i'm talking about i didn't notice it, that. it's there and it is weird on a slow plodding rock song um it is awesome um that's what i was wondering about when you say slow plodding does the drum performance drag no i think that in a cool way i think the guitar is doing all of the dragging and the drum beat is hmm. what is like giving it a little bit of a bounce um okay which i again i never noticed that on the drums before prepping for this episode um i think i used to think that the drums kind of dragged on the song The drums are great. The drum sound is great. This, I, I get what you are saying with this being a Rolling Stones type song, but I also think it's like the closest she's ever come to like 90s, like alternative slash maybe indie rock. Like you mentioned mm-hmm. her voice or mentioning her voice sounding a little bit more like Liz Fair on 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 some songs i don't hear it oh i think i think on the verse for sure here um Mm -hmm. and i think that this song kind of has that kind of thing like it's 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 kind of uh like an alternative rock song with again with a blues 
vibe for sure but um i think it's the closest she's come to like grunge you know for sure or or alternative rock or modern rock or anything um uh spoiler alert i love this song i've always always loved this song i was trying to use this as a vehicle for explaining to travis what cheryl crow does well and i think that I hate to keep referencing the Stones, but I love the Rolling Stones so much. You know, when they're doing their thing perfectly, when I'm thinking about like these country songs in particular, there is a world weariness that you can feel in everything from the vocal performance, the guitar performance. And I, I personally can imagine Charlie Watts playing drums on if it makes you happy very easily. Um, and it's somehow simultaneously sad and funny, and it just feels very lived in. Um, and uh, it's something that just for me, it's a, again, it's a vibe that I just find really appealing. And I feel like Cheryl Crow pulls it off really nicely. Do you think that, uh, like, the element of having a, a little bit of an edge is part of? what the stones do when they when they write those kinds of songs and perform them i mean i feel like there's a little bit of an unpredictable unpredictable element of like the rolling mm-hmm. stones even even in their country songs um yeah and i i i just feel like that's completely missing here the i would say the self-destructive element is missing yeah yeah mhm yeah, I can deal with that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's cool. I actually, I, I actually thought that I liked this song uh, coming into <laughs> coming into the album, and um, <laughs> I was like, "Oh, that's a good song." And then I listened to it, and I like, I don't know, a minute and a half in, I was just like off in another land, like not paying attention to it. I was like, mm-hmm. "Oh yeah, it didn't even hold my attention." But drum fill going into the last chorus. Is oh shit! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, totally. How does that one go? What if right now everything's wrong? That makes you happy. It can't be yeah, it's like really a fast, cool, guys. cool triplets. Yeah, it's <laughs> it, it's yeah. totally unlike anything on the album drum wise, yeah. or and it's on out of nowhere any of the albums. Yeah, it's a. I never noticed that before. It was a cool, cool little move. Yeah. I definitely, from a young age, I internalized that bass move of on the course. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> hmm. One and two. That's in the <laughs> that's in the chorus. Yeah. So they go boom, doom, boo, do, 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 do. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. That's Alex Bass talk. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, adult alternative radio as a radio format did not exist on Tuesday Night Music Club, but it does exist now. So um, as we go through the singles, I've made note of some pop and modern rock positions, but um, also any particularly notable adult alternative positions. And that's really the chart that Cheryl Crow 
thrived on you know when we did the stp special they often had mainstream rock number ones but they weren't modern rock number ones sheryl crow often has these adult alternative number ones and i think we can say adult alternative is a little bit more classic rock based you know we are talking about our wallflowers and our counting crows and um a lot of things that are 60s and 70s influenced Mm -hmm. which come to think of it so far is stuff that Trav hates, which is curious because he likes the band. <laughs> Trav's a real last waltz guy. Yeah. What of it? We're just going to litigate this as often as we can. <laughs> uh, did you see, uh, did you see the um, anti-COVID song that Van Morrison and uh eric clapton not anti-covid anti uh anti-safety measures (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) telling us lies they've had it (laughs) it led me to do a little google searching about clapton and find his old white nationalist days which are not hard to find really public comments made in concert about britain for the british and how the white people need to have first priority and Dang, that's some Morrissey stuff. I was going to say he and Morrissey. <laughs> it is some Morrissey he stuff. He and Morrissey should hang out. That's uh, He's, uh definitely a uh if you called him racist, I'm sure the first thing you'd say is I collaborated with BB King. <laughs> How can I be racist? Yeah. Well, well, maybe we'll come back around to him on the next album. Next album, yeah, on the uh, oh. Globe Sessions. Oh, right? on Globe Sessions. Yeah. Uh oh, I do know that they. I think I think they have collaborated together before. Mm. <sighs> oh. All right. Uh, <laughs> if it makes you happy, was a pop number ten, a modern rock number six, and an adult alternative number one. Uh, Every day is a winding road. Was the next single pop eleven, modern rock seventeen. My one note is. Uh, Firstly, the build coming in is very cool. The mm. drummer got a uh, got a songwriting credit on this one, but um, the slide guitar solo is mm. weird and cool. Yeah, it is super cool. I agree. Yeah. So interesting thing about this song is that I thought that I hated it coming into it, and I actually found that this was like one of the better songs on the album. Mm. I thought this was going to be really annoying and obnoxious um and like very uh soak up the sunny and it uh-huh. wasn't it was like it was like a really cool paul simon song <laughs> that's what it uh-huh. reminded me of with all the percussion and and things like that um mm-hmm. i'm with you Trev. really i expected to to dislike it um yeah i thought i did when i was a kid and it's actually pretty dang good yeah there's a really uh, like interesting swell into the chorus too where it got like louder and busier mm. but it wasn't like a you know, like hit the distortion and mm-hmm. blow it up into a big thing. It was like a, a very unexpected, um, gradual kind of swell. It was interesting. Mm-hmm. There's a really juicy guitar tone that on that chorus that goes just uh, between, I think, three and four. And then, there, of course, there's a guitar that goes... Uh, do, 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 do. There's, a, there's a lot of, of really cool poppy guitar elements going on there. Hmm. But uh, yeah, oh, the I know auxiliary what percussion. I know what guitar part you're talking about, Al. Yeah, yeah. The, the auxiliary percussion and the these that I think crazy uh, uh, slide guitar solos are mm-hmm. cool. Uh, 
Third single was Hard to Make a Stand, um, not released in the U.S., probably the most explicitly Stonesy song that I can think of that Sheryl Crow mm. has done. To me, a little bit too basic. I didn't, I didn't care for it. And I also noted that it was like massively Rolling Stone style for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know about more than anything she's ever done or even on these three albums, but definitely on the album. Um, it was the most blatant. Um, I thought it was fine. Just fine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a Change Would Do You Good was a modern rock number 25 and another uh, adult alternative number one. Wow. I think that this is a good meeting in the middle uh, with regards to vocal style. The, the verse allows her to do her deadpan thing. The chorus allows her to do her bluesy thing. Um, I didn't really like this song very much as a kid. Uh, I think once again, I, I thought it was a little basic. Um, now I appreciate the craft of it quite a lot. I think yeah. it's a subglycerine turd. Wow. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, I, I already, we already talked a little bit about it. I, I, I think it's not, not too, too shabby. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I remember hearing this on the radio, but apparently was not released in the U.S. The, the final single is the acoustic uh, ballad Home, which I think is lovely and melancholy, and uh, I have always liked it a lot. Afraid of feeling nothing, no bees or butterflies. My head is full of voices, my house is full of lies. This is Fine album track that was released as a single. (laughs) Okay. Let's move on to our third and final album, The Globe Sessions. Um, Quill, what did you think of The Globe Sessions? Um, I This was all new to me except for one song, and uh, I don't think I cared for it as, uh, on a whole. I liked two songs. And, what uh, songs did you like? Uh, my Favorite Mistake and Mississippi. Um, was a cool album track, just great, chimey, chimey inner twining guitars, really, really nice, really. Apparently, Mississippi was an unrecorded Bob Dylan song. Mm. Yeah, cool. So that was uh, technically sort of a cover. Well, they did a great job of making a cool song out of it. That was it. That's all I care. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think I loathed anything i just that was just okay. uh, th- those were the only thing only songs that stuck out to me on it trev is this the worst of the worst or what do you think i am happy to report that i enjoyed the globe sessions okay good i really liked it actually i thought it was good 
Um, maybe at points like a bit generic, but I thought it was good. It was such a relief to come back to 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 finish with that, uh-huh. and not the self titled album. Good, um, I'm glad to hear it. I guess there are similarities um, in in mm. like the song, like how they're presented. I guess, but like this struck me as a little bit more, um, a little bit more genuine and less like less of a uh, less of a slog so i'm curious because i feel like this is the album where cheryl crow makes peace with cheryl crow and acknowledges that she really is a classic rock hound (laughs) um which sounds like maybe it's been one of your complaints so i'm surprised to hear that you're into this one because it is Pretty bluesy. Well, it's really interesting that you said that, because one of the things I was thinking about while I was listening to all three albums is something I've been thinking about with uh, most of the artists that we cover, which is, do they ever become themselves more? Do they work up to a point where they're doing a, a very specific thing and losing a large part of the, the mainstream audience because of it? Like Bush mm-hmm. does as they move on, you know, they start off with 16 stone and it's big and broad, but they sound like 10 other bands. But later as they go on, you can hear that they're doing something different that other bands are not doing for better or worse. Mm-hmm. And I find that much more interesting um, with, with pretty much any artist. I mean, not just nineties artists, but like even more recent, you know, artists. So um, you know, I thought of them, I thought of live, uh, better than Ezra also seemed to do that where they were very broad at first and then they do, how does your garden grow? And it's like, they're doing this very, very, they're following their own muse. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I was wondering if Cheryl Crow was ever going to become herself. And I feel like she did that on sweet child of mine. Like that was the <laughs> moment where I was like, this is who you were oh. meant to be. Oh. And she did it, and she owned it, and it how is what it is. To, how did you manage to turn that into an insult? <laughs> <laughs> to, be, to be fair, I have always looked down on Sweet Child of Mine, but in the context of the album, I felt like it made sense, and I could enjoy it. Yeah, it felt like a, a Rick Rubin um, produced kind of like selection. It was. It was. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, it felt, like, it felt like kind of a Rick Rubin album altogether. Huh. Um, but yeah, uh, that, that specifically, I didn't mean for it to be a dig because like, <laughs> it was like, I mean, yeah, you hear it and you're just like, there's, uh, again, bad concept. There's no way you're going to pull this off. Don't cover this. It's like covering Brown Eyed Girl. Like it's, it's been, you know, I've heard it a billion times and there's no way to put well, a, it. Well, it probably helps me that I hate Guns N' Roses. Okay. But actually, you know, it turned out like she, she did it pretty well. And I mean, that's like, that's, I felt like, good for you. This mm-hmm. is what, this is what you were meant to do. You're doing <laughs> it. But there were also like really good songs on the album that weren't Sweet Child of Mine. <laughs> Um, what did you like? I liked I liked my favorite mistake a surprising amount. I uh-huh. thought that was going to be a drag, and it was really cool. Uh, great yeah. guitar playing. Um, I heard one review mention Elvis Costello, and mm. uh, on the did you know da, 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 I could I could hear that, hmm. dude. I primarily hear 
throw the stones. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. The the final chorus where she changes the melody altogether. Um, I don't know if the lyrics are different. Maybe they are. But it's you the only one yes. that That's I awesome. That is an awesome, yeah. awesome yeah. yeah. Awesome, yeah. awesome move. Like for an already mm. catchy chorus and then like a really, really, really great chorus with a great, great hook. And then to change it for the last time so drastically. Yeah. Uh, to another like really great melody is cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that drum performance, that drum oh, performance, totally sweet. Uh, simil- similar to if you, it makes you happy, mm-hmm. right? It's got that, mm. got the, it really in the pocket. Yep. It, it's uh, sweet, yeah, yeah. yeah. Great drumming, uh, and that is a positive on the whole record. Like the drumming is just great. Like, yeah, her drummers are yeah, great. That's great. The production on the records totally great. The drum sounds are awesome. Yeah. So let me talk about the Rolling Stones a little bit more. <laughs> Um, there goes the neighborhood is, uh, was track two, I, a song that I don't like at all, but, uh, listening back, I, I thought, oh my gosh, how did they get this saxophone to sound so much like, uh, mm. like, uh, can't you hear me knocking? And the answer is it's Bobby keys, Bobby keys. uh, frequent Rolling Stones collaborator. Oh, funny playing the saxophone solo um i even looked to see if um the string arranger on the record for songs like river wide um the strings sound exactly like moonlight mile another um sticky fingers track it is not the same guy who arranged moonlight mile but it is an oldies guy jimmy haskell who worked with a lot of oldies artists uh i will say though that the moonlight mile string arranger did do the strings for drops of jupiter nice good string arrangements there Uh uh-huh um can i just mention that bobby keys taught me the phrase shitting in the tall cotton on a uh, a Rolling Stones uh, on a, an Exile on Main Street documentary, he said something was going really easily easy, and he was just like, "Yeah, we were really shitting in the tall cotton that day." This guy, this guy's a card. Uh, the other interesting collaboration on this album is uh, Wendy Melvoin of of uh, Wendy. Uh, Wendy and Lisa, and of Prince of the Prince and the Revolution. She's on uh, two tracks. Wow. To me, the revelation on this album was a top five, probably top three Sheryl Crow song. The song, It Don't Hurt. Um, I loved this song. The electric man looks good today. Maybe not while I'm trying hard. Trying hard to feel that way. The electric man's a good place to start.
There are some ratty acoustic guitars getting the song started. And then after a little while, you got some ratty electric guitars. <laughs> it, had, it had that, uh, just that lived in world weary, uh, slightly behind uh, Stone's country feel. I, I think it's track four. Um, I loved it. It's a, the lyrics are about renovating a house to get sort of like clear herself of, uh, the memory of a man. Uh, she talks about tearing down the wallpaper and, uh, tearing up the floors and things like that. And I loved this song. Um, there's a guitar solo at the end. That's pretty much one note, just (laughs) ratty ass electric guitar. Um, thought it was great. And, uh, sort of like the, like torch song um river wide track three also great um there was some crummy stuff too there are definitely signs of the soaking soaking up the sun soak up the sun era. i don't know the reference i mean i know it's a cheryl crow song from the aughts yeah it's it's i never listened to music. anything after my favorite yeah. mistake uh like a, as a kid like i never heard anything after that i yeah. know of after this album did anybody else like am i getting through parts one and two <laughs> yeah i liked yeah. that a lot i thought that yeah. was cool especially the second part where it just like just tears into it yeah that was very cool yeah and i had forgotten um Anything But Down was a single that was on the radio every once in a while. Very straightforward, but I think a really nice song. I very vaguely recognized it. I was like, have I heard this before? And then I looked it up and found that it was a single. And I was like, oh, maybe. Yeah. I did not yeah, recognize so either of the other singles. Um, critics generally liked it. Rolling Stone's James Hunter said, For Crow, the Globe Sessions isn't a big pop record figured out within an inch of its life. Here are just some things I recorded, the album title suggests. In the end, it is Crow's singing that unites the record and conveys its passionate thrust. And I agree, um, this is the second record that's named after sort of the circumstances under which the songs were recorded. And uh, I appreciate that. It does feel like she's just kind of saying like, hey, here's some time I spent in the studio. You know, here are the Globe sessions. Um, And I I feel like that's, that's good to hear after her second album feeling like such a statement. Yeah, that sounds about right. Singles. Uh, my favorite mistake, um, Modern Rock number 26, Adult Alternative number one. I think we've already said we all like the song a lot. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Love it. There goes the neighborhood. This only charted on the adult alternative chart. It went to number two. I think it's real crummy. Yeah. Not my thing. I don't think it registered with me. Yeah. I like that saxophone solo at the end, but it's, uh, it feels like a a cheesy play for airplay. Mm Um, Anything But Down. This is also only charted on the adult alternative chart, but it went to number one. That's how well Sheryl Crow was doing on on, on radio stations like 96.3 at this time. Um, I think it's great. Yeah, this yeah, one good. did not register for me. And then finally, Sweet Child of Mine. Uh, bonus track was on the Big Daddy soundtrack. 
and charted on the adult top 40. Um, enjoyable, but I hear danger signs of <laughs> utter genericness setting in. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> sure. This is, this is bad. <laughs> she walked into the mirror and finally became self-actualized. <laughs> and it was all soaking up suns from there <laughs> so are you a big first cut is the deepest fan Trent? absolutely not that's worse than anything that's worse than <laughs> soak up the sun um what about picture i think kid rock might have stolen her life force on their duet so i i don't think i know this song i've oh, read about it yeah i don't think it, i know it it was like a big hit and uh it was probably the first time that like kid rock sang instead of rapping ba with the ba <laughs> and um only god knows why yeah it was it was very similar very okay. similar and maybe around the same 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 time frame i guess i don't know or care um, i think we're gonna have an episode about only god knows why no way. i don't think so tim you know <laughs> <laughs> okay you're I talking about kid it. rock right not yeah. adult rock yeah i don't think we have a kid rock song thank god um, <laughs> The final segment here is inducting songs into our honorary Hall of Fame or Stall of Blame. Um, this is a space that only the Stone Temple Pilots have been given access to so far until our next special. Um, so we're going to rotate around and we're going to nominate songs for the Hall of Fame or Stall of Blame, and then we're going to rate these songs. Um, and uh, see if they meet the criteria. We need a 4.5 or higher for the Hall of Fame and a 2 or lower for the Stall of Blame. And this is uh, this only pertains to this single. I think Hall of Fame is 4.25 and higher. Okay. I'm going to start by nominating the single Leaving Las Vegas. Uh, I think this is a great song. I'm going to give this 4.5 blackjacks on a Saturday night. Travis here. 3.5. Uh, I also give it a 3.5. All right. So that's a no for leaving Las Vegas. Uh, Trav, why don't you suggest something? Uh, how about All I Want to Do from the Teenage Ninja Music Club? <laughs> I will give it a 4.5. I'll give it four Teenage Mutant Ninja Music Clubs. I will give it 4.25 things I want to do to have some fun. <laughs> <laughs> then it's in. I think you're all right. All right. Yes. Quillen, what would you like to suggest? Um, I will nominate from the self-titled album, If It Makes You Happy... All right. What are you going to give it? Hmm. Uh, perfect. Five out of five. Five. Wow. Five things that make me happy. <laughs> uh, I'll give it 4.5 things that make me happy. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> well, I'll give it three things that make me happy. Did you calculate in advance the rating that you would have to give this to keep it out of the Hall of Fame? <laughs> yes. 
That's okay. That's all right. I tried to be honest about it. Does that mean, is it out? It's out, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All righty. Um, I'm going to nominate uh, what I have previously said is my favorite Sheryl Crow song, Can't Cry Anymore. I'm going to give it five brothers who have real problems. I will give it 4.5. Um, 4.5 instances of being unable to cry anymore. <laughs> um, I can go as high as four, four cries. Okay. That one is in. That's in, right? Yeah. Thank you, Travis, for being generous. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Trav, uh, another one you want to nominate? Hey, I got a question for you, you two. Yeah. Are you strong enough to be my men? <laughs> Are you strong enough to give this a five? This is a perfect song. Five strengths. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I got to differ on at least one point there. I'm going to have to give this five men. (laughs) Perfect song. Dang it. What is it, Quillen? How many muscles over there? I'm definitely giving it a five. I was going to give it five men who are strong enough to be your man. (laughs) Hey, we've got two perfect songs. That's great. That's great. great. Are we are we softies? Are we ballad boys? We got Sour Girl and Strong Enough. Oh yeah, yeah. I guess maybe. Do you think we're ever gonna have a rocker that we give uh, uh, straight fives to? I, I guess mean, it depends on what our schedule, yeah, uh, our special schedule is. We're not doing ball with the ball. Is that right? <laughs> I gotta think that you know if. See, we can't do a special about Third Eye Blind, but I got to think, like, if we took Graduate or Losing a Whole Year, would that be Perfect Fives all around? You don't think uh, Semi-Charm Life will be? I don't know, guys. I don't know. I, I've been thinking about it because I feel like Travis has, has, has hinted that it might be the one... I don't know. I don't know, guys. It's got some Sugar A kind of vibes. No, to it. come on. Well, we we cannot uh, pre-plan on this. Let's. I know you got I a know. couple of weeks to get right with your God <laughs> before the three before the guy from Third Eye Blind comes for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, strong enough. Perfect five. Yeah. Quill yeah, one more. I got one more. It is my favorite mistake from the Globe Sessions. Perfect song for me. Five out of five mistakes that were my favorite. <laughs> uh, um, I, will, I will give it uh, four out of five mistaken favorites. <laughs> cool. Um... I'm going to go uh, 4.5 bad days I'd gotten used to spending, which means that's in. in. Um, finally, I think I know how this is going to go over. Uh, I would like to suggest the single Home from Self-Titled. Uh, I'm going to give this 
4.5 romance novels. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm going to give it three children who kill each other with a gun they bought from Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> You've been sitting on that one. I don't know. Maybe. How, how many, Trev? <laughs> Three. Okay. I was going to give it 2.5 homes. Whew. Yikes. <laughs> well, I think we did it. Yeah. I mean, that gives us uh, all I want to do. Can't cry anymore. Strong enough, which was perfect. Uh, and my favorite mistake. Great. We're all in. Great. Great. Cheryl yeah. Crow is great. Cheryl Crow, <laughs> pretty sweet. <laughs> All your thoughts on Pod is part of the Off Shelf family. Head to offshelf.net to sign up for their monthly zine and check out our sibling podcast, Best Song Ever. The best, most fun way for us to communicate with all of you is via our Facebook group. Tell me all your thoughts on Tell Me All Your Thoughts on Pod. However, we still love receiving your emails at thoughtsonpod at gmail.com. You can listen along with our playlist on Spotify, Apple Music, or watch along on YouTube. Uh, we'll return to our regularly scheduled program with uh, next week's episode, which I believe, depending on when we schedule this, will be Pepper by the Penis Hole Surfers. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.